message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. We open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 3. I've really enjoyed the Christmas series of, of how Christ fulfills prophet, priest, and king but it's what we call sometimes topical sermons. And so we use a lot of different scriptures to kind of come back, even though we stayed a lot in Hebrews during that time. Uh, this is much more my comfort zone, where we're just, I can say, open to Philippians chapter 3, and for the most part, you can stay there the rest of the morning as we go through verses 12 through 14 this morning. As we talk about the hope of new, you know, there's something about a calendar that uh, I, I saw this on a lot on social media, Facebook, different things, you know, people going you know, kind of kicking 2016 out of the way and 2017 coming, and you see all kinds of different cartoons. But, but would you agree that there is something unique about a calendar, throwing out the old and kind of starting the new? I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to say magical, because it's not magical, but there is something powerful about new. There's a hope that comes, especially if the last year, the last calendar year, was one of those years that was not a banner year for you. You are so ready to get over, to have some kind of a mark, a line in the sand to say, okay, 216 is done, 217, here I come. There's just something about that that excites our heart and our life. And so this morning, I want us to kind of look at that excitement and have not just an emotion attached with that, but but really, what is that excitement of new? Maybe it's a new job. Have you ever been so frustrated in an old job? That, you know, you were still working there. You didn't have the new job, but your mind kept on drifting off to the possibilities of a new job. Or a new house. Have you ever had an old car that you did not know if it was going to get out of the driveway or not? And just the hope, okay, if we get a new car, it's not going to be perfect. It's not like it's never going to break. But just the hope that I can actually get from point A to point B without it breaking down. See, there's something about new that gives us hope. Because it makes us think that somehow we're going to be different from the past, especially the bad past. Even sometimes we see that with things like medicine. You know, if you have an ailment that goes on, it's not just a cold that you have for a short time. But if you have something that that is perennial, that just keeps on going on, that you're going to have to live with, the doctor said, kind of for the rest of your life, you're always looking, okay, what are they developing in that area? Is there a new medicine that's going to bring a cure to me? You read about a study on the Internet, you ask your doctor about it, and it brings hope to you. Folks, new brings hope. It's almost impossible to separate newness and and hope. And so sometimes that's why we come to a new year. And even though it's just a change of the date, it's a new calendar or something like that, a change in in whatever, it gives us hope. And that's why if you open the Bible... Almost every page is going to talk about something new. It may not use that word new on every page, but it's always talking about new. I mean, think about all the things that are new in Christ Jesus. We have, he said, uh, you're going to have a new heart. I'm going to take out the heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a new heart. It talks about new life. He says, you're going to sing a new song. That's pretty cool. Man, I've been singing the blues, Lord. Are you going to give me a new song for this new year? New life, the new covenant. We look at the old covenant and and how God was faithful. But then this turning point of the New Testament, when Christ comes, we get this new covenant that God always purposed. And now we live in the excitement and in the power of that new covenant. A new Jerusalem. One day he says a new heavens and a new earth. He talks about the new wine. New, new, new. Why does God keep on talking about new? Because there's hope in new. And so we approach a, a year like this 
and it's a fresh day. And even on the most practical things, the new diet, the new exercise program, you know, even when it comes down, we're hopeful, hoping that, okay, this is really the year that we actually do it, that it lasts more than a week. And so all this hope of new. And, uh, but folks, I, I want to give you something past that hope of, okay, I'm just going to start eating better. I'm going to start to exercise this. Those are good. And, and I like that line in the sound practically as much as I do like spiritually. But when we open up the Word of God, the new that he's talking about is not an emotion. It's not just a new technique or something that we're doing. Uh, you know, it, it's the new that comes through Christ. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 3. This is near the end of his ministry. And it's one of those things where, um, you know, he doesn't have a whole bunch in the flesh to be happy about. He's in prison or at least a home, house prison. We don't know if he's imprisoned in a real prison at this point or if he's in a house prison at this point when he's writing this. But he's not writing this under the best of conditions. He's writing this in a place where there's duress in his life. He doesn't have freedom to go and come as he would choose. He wants to be about ministry, and yet he finds himself chained to these people. I always, When I look at the scripture, though, I always think that, okay, Paul was not chained to them. They were chained to Paul. Because the Bible tells us over and over again that even in those opportunities that Paul would witness to the prison guard and to all these people. And, and we've talked about it before. Can you imagine you're looking at the, the, the lineup for next week, your work schedule, and you look there at Tuesday. I've got the Apostle Paul. Great. Three hours. I'm going to hear this guy talking about Christ over and over and over again. And yet we find himself in this place where a lot of us would be kind of depressed. We would see what we lack rather than what we have. And he wrote these words. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This passage leads us to some great truths. We're going to look at three truths this morning that uh, apply to our lives as we start fresh and anew. And the first one is we just kind of open up in that verse 12 and we begin to look. Is, and this is, I'm so tentative to even say this is the first point. But uh, the, the first thing that we see here is that we have to remember, if we're going to have this newness in our life, that God isn't finished with me. Now, why am I reserved to say that? You've heard me say it before. You'll hear me say it uh, many, many more times before. I hate bumper sticker theology. I hate bumper sticker theology. God did not give us a little quip to change your life and say, okay, deal with it now. He's given us rock-solid truth. We have foundational theological truth in God's Word that we don't have to go by emotions. We don't have to go by feelings. We don't have to go by just empty hope. We can go with a hope that truly is based on something. And here, when I say, you know, okay, God is not finished with me yet, we can really have that kind of mentality that, okay, just put up with all my bad because God's not finished with me yet. That's not what the Scripture is saying. The encouragement isn't, oh, look past all my flaws, because remember, God's not finished with me yet. I mean, would that really work in our household? No, it wouldn't. <laughs> I tried, but it didn't. <laughs> no, he's not saying, okay, some kind of 
bumper sticker. Okay, God's not finished with me yet, so just overlook everything. No, he's talking about a plan of action here. And part of that action is realizing that he is not where he wants to be. And maybe that's where you would be this morning. You'd say, okay, look, I, I, I am saved. I know without a doubt that Christ is Lord and Savior of my life. I know without a doubt that if I died right now, I'm going to go to heaven. But you know, Bobby, honestly, I'm not really where I want to be. That's kind of where Paul was. He was making that profession and that confession that he's not really where he wants to be. That he was still in a state of maturity. And in reality, that's where every one of us are this morning. I don't care if you've been walking with Christ for a year couple months, or 50 years. We're in a state of maturity. Now, I'm going to share with you three words that I hope that you're really rehearsing, knowing you have in your heart. They're theological words, but they're very important theological words. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Can we go to that? There we go. Uh, Remember these three words. They're very, very important for us to understand in truth what God is doing. Justification is what happened, folks, When we trusted Christ Jesus, he opened our eyes to the beauty of the gospel. We responded to that. And we said, yes, Lord, you're what I need. I I profess that Christ died for me. And at that point, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. Happens in, in, in a moment in time in each one of our lives if we're Christians. Glorification is what will happen one day. It's the promise that one day that we will be in a place without sin, will be absent from the presence of sin. That will be a glorious day, won't it? (laughs) Glorification. New body, new place, new heavens, new earth, all that kind of stuff, all that new that he's talking about. But in between this justification and this glorification is where you and I are living right now. And that's a point of sanctification. And God's aim for this point before he calls us home is that we would mature more and more in Christ Jesus. That we would never have a resting point. That there would never be a point where we're going, you know, I've been walking with the Lord now for about 30 years and I think I'm, I'm a lot better than everybody else at CS. So, you know, it, it, I'm really kind of better than that pastor. So I, I think I can just rest. There's no point in the Christian life where we just sit back. Paul, if anybody, I mean, would you put your spiritual life up against Paul's? Okay, here's my spiritual resume. And you look at his spiritual resume, you know, three missionary trips, preached, you know, and saw thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, perhaps, maybe even come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, going through shipwrecks and all kinds of toil and trouble, and yet he's still faithful to the call of Christ. Very few of us would have the audacity to say, well, you know, me and the Apostle Paul, we're kind of in that same spiritual level. Now, most of us would make that confession of our own lives Man, that would be something to aspire to. And yet the Apostle Paul here says what in Philippians 3.13? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I'm not completely to the place of full maturity in Christ Jesus. Am I saved? Yes. Am I doing a work for God? Am I still telling even these prison guards about Christ? Yes, I'm doing all these things. But I know that there is still need in my life. One of the greatest ways that you can start 2017 is with that profession and confession of your life. God, I stand in need. I stand in need. And some of those things, God, are obvious to me. And there's other things that maybe are hidden from me. 
And so I ask you to open my eyes. Have you ever thought about some of the prayers of the Bible, like David's prayer, you show me my heart? Can you imagine really praying that? I mean, in full earnest, show me my heart. Would that be a scary video to watch? But that's what we see. That's the hope of new. It's not that we stay where we are and that God shows us all this stuff and he says, man, you're really yucky. But that he sees us even in our sin and saves us. And then he sees us as a Christian behind the cross of Christ, totally forgiven. By, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that all of our sins have been cast onto Christ and his righteousness has been cast onto me. I still don't get that. I still don't get fully that when Christ looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. But I claim it. I don't feel it. That's where emotion will let me down, especially on my challenging days. I won't feel righteous. That's why I come back to the truth of God's word and say, okay, this is what you've said, God. I'm not making this claim about myself. You are making this claim for me. And so I hold on to this dear promise with all that I have. First thing that we see here is that we just have this place where we basically do what we did in 2016. Uh, Remember Galatians 2.20? We're going to have a new verse. This is going to be kind of our set verses for 2017. Our vision will kind of bounce off of these three verses. But remember 2016, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified in Christ. I no longer live. Christ Jesus lives in me. This whole idea of dying to self, well, that's basically the profession that we make today. How many of you can make that profession? You don't have to raise your hands. But say, you know, God, I need to die to some selfishness. How many of you would be able to make that confession and profession this morning that, God, you know, I need to die of some pride. There's some pride in my life. and I really need to claim that and, and, and put that before the cross. And God, I, I just need to, to be able to move on past that pride, this selfish pride. About just self-justification. And that's a big one there. Well, God, I wouldn't have done that unless... But... That just doesn't work. This is, you know, self-justification. Well, I would have never lost my temper if that person would not have. And you gave them much, way, way too much control over who you are in Christ Jesus when you do that. I promise you. It happens every day. It happens when we're driving down the street. And my wife reminds me. But at that moment, I have given them way too much power of who I am in Christ. So mainly, I wouldn't have lost my temper. I wouldn't have yelled that out. I wouldn't have shaken my fist if people just would have done this or that. And we rendered the cross powerless as far as in the practical sense of that moment when we allow folks to bring us to a place of self justification. And this is where, where real repentance begins. Guys, a, a word that I don't think that we use enough in our terminology these days is repentance. It's, it's really sad that we don't use a word because we're thinking, you know, that's kind of an archaic word. No, it's not. Not if you read the scriptures, it's not. It's an ever-present thought. Until that time of glorification, there's going to be moments of repentance where I just come, I need to change my mind. Now again, we've been taught that repentance is changing your direction. It is. You are going this way, you repent, you go this way. But the real word repentance means you change your mind. That's why you change directions. Something that before you really didn't see as sinful, perhaps. 
God, God through His Scripture, through His Holy Spirit, illuminate your mind. So, man, I just don't want this to be a part of your life. Because I love you. You're my child. And I just don't want you to get discouraged or put your hope in this. And so we change our mind about the importance of that in our lives. Or that self-justification. We change our mind about it. We repent. That's what God is talking about here. And that's what Paul is saying. That we realize, we just come to a place where we say, okay, God, you're not finished with me yet. This is not a bumper sticker for me to excuse my actions this is simply a claim that I make biblically that I'm, not, that I'm not there yet. I'm in the process of being sanctified more and more into the image of Christ every single day. Second thing that we see in the scripture is that having hope in the new year is that to move ahead, I have to leave some things behind. In order to really move ahead, there's, there's going to be some things, guys, you've got to get out of your pack sack. Okay? You're going to have to get out. You're going to have to put off that you've been carrying around. It may be a grudge. It may be a hurt. It may be this and the other. That is not pastor being insensitive. Hey, get over this. No. I'm just saying if you want maturity in Christ, if you want Christ truly to, to help you handle this, it, it means that we come to a place where we're going, okay, this I do. I forget this. I leave it in the past. Because I do not want this to, to be a part of my future. Guys, I, I have counseled those who have been a victim of child abuse. I have counseled with those for hours and hours and days and days, those who have been under sexual abuse. This is not an insensitive heart that says, oh, get over it. It happened 20 years ago. No, this is not an insensitive heart. It's a biblically founded heart that says, hey, guys, this was hurtful, and there is nothing that you're ever going to find in this life except for Christ that can help you move on from this. But let's not water down and put Christ with everything else. This hurt that you have in the past, let's claim it for what it is, that this is sin in action, that this sin was perpetrated upon you, but that you leave it behind. Why? Because of the power of Christ and the hope of new in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. Look what it says. Philippians 3:13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. I make this confession I have need. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. We will never have the opportunity for a real fresh start until we leave some things behind. I mean, really, isn't that hope, when you get right down to it, isn't that the hope of Christianity? I mean, isn't that really 2 Corinthians 5.17 in action? Therefore, and I love that word, therefore, he makes a statement. Because of what Christ has done, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is? The new has? He's not saying, okay, I'm insensitive to all the hurts that you've had in the past. I'm insensitive to the rejection that mom and dad didn't love you well. I'm, I, that you went through a divorce, that you went through this. He's not insensitive to that. What he's saying is, I have a hope for you. They can have victory over that so that you're not a victim. Because, guys, if there's anything that is easy to buy into in the 21st century, it's victimization. Satan's favorite tool, I think, is victimization. Because victimization leads to self-justification and all those other things that we just talked about. We, we find a reason why we're this way. When Christ is saying, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Well, I'd love to rest, but you just don't know how much that hurt. What did we just claim 
three weeks ago that he is the great high priest in Hebrews. He put himself in flesh. He clothed himself. Let the glory of heaven. Remember, we said, what other king leaves his throne? And yet he did. He put on flesh. Why? So that I would never justifiably be able to say, biblically say, you don't know how I feel. He knows exactly how you feel. And he chose to do so. It was not placed upon him by force. He chose to do that. That's the picture that we have, this newness in our two ordinances. Baptism. It's a symbol. When we go under the water, we come back up as a symbol that we died to the old life and the new has come. Can we put that slide up, Jeremy, that, uh, you know, <laughs> that victory that is baptism? Anyway, guys, again, let's be very clear. Let's be very, very clear. Pastor, will you go to heaven if you've trusted Christ but you haven't been baptized? Yes, because that's, that's a symbol. Guys, it is such an important symbol. It is such an important symbol to have a line in the sand that says on this day, I symbolically died to self so that I could live in the fullness of this new life that Christ has for me. I always use the illustration of a, of a wedding ring. If, if, if I could take this wedding ring off right now, I put it on as a much younger man and a much thinner man. And if I could take this off right now, would I still be married? Yes. But the symbol, the outward symbol showing everybody that I'm married would be gone. So do you think Carly wants me to wear this? Yes. I mean, what would you think? Yeah, man, let's get married. Let's not invite anybody. And I really don't want to wear that ring. That's not going to fly in the Lincoln's home, okay? But I promise you, it would not fly from me to her. And she said, let's just not invite anybody. And do I have to really wear this ring? I'm going, you better ring this. It's one of my proudest moments of my life. I so outkicked my coverage. You know, this is the one thing I've done right. So yes, you wear this. That's the importance of, of the symbolism of baptism, that it really gives us that wine in the sand that shows on the outside this commitment that we've made. And that's why we have the Lord's Supper. That's why we make it available. We do it corporately, you know, sometimes. But we make this available for you every week. And some people come up before the service during the worship time, that pre-worship time. Others can come. You can come this day when we close out the service and you can have the Lord's Supper. Why? Because it's a reminder symbolically of what Christ has done for us, the newness that comes. I mean, it is the picture of justification. It is the picture of sanctification taking place. And it is the promise of glorification that one day will happen. It's not just something we do Man, I'm kind of thirsty. I'm going to go up there and get a little. It's important, guys. What do you need to leave behind in order to move on this year? I mean, that's probably one of the most personal questions that I could ask. Because if we really believe the scripture that he says, okay, if Paul's saying, man, this is what I do, I forget what's behind. He's talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. All the accolades, he couldn't rest on his accolades, but also all of his, you know, the times that he's saying, man, I prayed three times for this thorn to be removed, and I'm really frustrated that it's not. And he said, man, this thing I do, I, I forget what's behind. 
And so my question this morning is, what do you need to leave behind in 2016? Is it a past relationship? Is, is it a grudge? I mean, is it really a, a past failure? Is it, is it when you really were a, a victim of something, when somebody perpetrated wrong and sin against you, and yet it's left a scar? The third thing we see in this passage is having, having hope in the new year. Folks, change will not come without commitment. I'm going to tread very softly here because in no way do we add even a tenth of a millionth of a percentile to our salvation. It is Christ and Christ alone. There's not one good work that God was looking for in your life to bring you salvation. Christ and Christ alone. And yet what we see is this call in the Bible that once we come to Christ, once we trust Christ, once we say, okay, my salvation is 100% dependent upon you, we do see this call to holiness. We see a call to live righteously. And that's where commitment comes. It doesn't take, in a sense, a commitment to be saved. Now, we got another pastor here visiting with us today. I think he knows what I would mean by that, you know, that it's totally God. And it does take a commitment of the truth, that we commit ourselves to this truth. But it doesn't take a word. It's not, okay, I'm going to come to church, and I won't even miss five times this year. Because that's how committed I am. Or I'm going to give this much money, or I'm going to do this. Folks, that's not how we come to Christ. We come on the finished work of Christ and Him alone. But, but, why we're not saved by works, we are saved unto works. And a holy life. And Paul makes mention of that here. Look what he says, verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I have need. But one thing I I do, forgetting what is lying behind, I, I can't move forward until I let go of some things. And straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the price that is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've made some resolutions. Um, easiest part about resolutions is making them. The hardest part is keeping them. Uh, study after study comes out with different statistics. So I'll just pull one of those studies. And one of those studies I read, basically 80% of Americans make resolutions. And only 9% of Americans keep those resolutions past the first week. Seriously. So talk is easy. To aspire to diet is easy. To aspire to, to work out, to aspire to, to, to spend more time in God's Word, to aspire to do this or that. Folks, that's the easy part. To aspire is easy. To commit ourselves to follow through that, that's the hard part. The challenging part. And, and so what we see here is that somewhere hope that comes from the Word of God and the hope of God, this hope must mean action. And that's the word that we see here in the Greek. Paul uses a word that was an athletic term. It was a term that uh, they would, the Greeks very much familiar with the Olympics long before we had the modern-day Olympics. The Olympics were invented there during Jesus' time. This athletic term was that strain of a runner running. Do you remember back in this most recent uh, Olympics in, um, in Rio? 
in the 400-meter finals, the American, uh, Allison Felix, was supposed to win. She had won, you know, the previous time. She was the world champion. And this girl used to go to UGA, uh, Shanae Miller, representing the Bahamas, dove at the very end. Do y'all remember that? At the very end, I mean, they're both running 400 meters, okay? So you're making this lap. And she dives at the end and crosses like just this millisecond before the one that was supposed to win. Can we see that next picture? That's the Greek word. That's it right there, guys. The straining. He said, I strain forward to what lies ahead. He's not talking about, well, if the wind blows, I guess I'll kind of go with that. He's talking about something that you made a commitment to. It is a word of both direction and action. Direction, and we could say devotion spiritually. It's not just this aimless living life. It is, Paul is saying, look, I know where the goal is. And that goal is Christ's likeness. I know what I want to be. I want it. And so he says, I press on. Verse 14, he says, I press on. You notice that in verse 12, he said, I press on. He starts this, I press on. He finishes, verse 14, I press on. Devotion, direction. You can have all the devotion, but if you don't have direction, have you ever seen a dog chase his tail? He's really tired and then gets frustrated and quits. You're going to have all kinds of direction, but without devotion, the diet starts tomorrow. See where God is just a very practical God sometimes. Again, we're not talking salvation here. We're not saying, okay, only if you really try hard, you're going to be saved. No, this is Paul talking as a man saved by what Christ has done and only by that work. But he says, now in my Christian life, in my Christian life, now that I am God's, and this is who I am in Christ Jesus, because of verse 12 in one translation says, that has been taken hold of me by Christ Jesus. In other words, I would never have this if it wasn't for Christ. So he's made that profession. Now he says, okay, for me in my spiritual life, here's, here's my desire. I know the direction, and now I want the devotion. I strain forward. I press on toward the goal. What is that goal? That goal is Christ-likeness. Romans 8:29. To be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. This is going to be what we kind of cut our teeth on. This is our, our vision statement, our vision text for 2017. As forward, forward, pressing on. Why? Because bad lies in the past? No, some good lies in the past. But God wants to do something fresh. He wants to do something new in the life of this church, in the life of this community, in your life, in your marriage. I mean, I've been married now for a long time, and we have a wonderful marriage. I mean, we really have a great marriage. And yet, I, I won't. I don't just want the same old marriage. Why would I not aspire to love my wife as Christ loved the church even more in 2017? But guys, it can't just be kind of this hope. Okay, I hope I do. It has to be hope built on something solid. And that is that Christ Jesus lives in me. And so with that direction, he gives me devotion. 
How does he do that? By loving me when I am so unfaithful. Loving me when I am so unrighteous. Loving me when I am so sinful. That he has never been unfaithful, even in my unfaithfulness. And that inspires me so that when I get, and we're just being real here, okay, guys? So when I get a little frustrated at home, going, I thought we were going to eat at 7. Say 15. And I'm going, man, Christ is ever patient with me. Christ is ever loving. He is ever forgiving. He is ever loving. And so if I aspire to be more like Christ in the love for my wife, I aspire in that direction. But he gives me the devotion to do it. Christ, as you have done to me, will you give me the power to do unto my wife? Does that make sense, guys? The connection between devotion and direction. Because sometimes we have one without the other, and we wonder why we didn't accomplish anything. We have the heart for it. We have all this devotion, but we didn't have any direction. (laughs) Or we have direction, but we have no commitment or no devotion for it. It takes what Paul is saying, man, both of these are pretty essential here for you to truly leave the past in the past and go into what God has for you in the future. But what do you have to leave behind, guys? is, Is there something that God would pronounce to you in the quietness of your heart and your mind this morning? Okay, for 2017, leave this behind. I've got it. You can leave it with me. Second question, as we go into this time of reflection, what is it that you need to make a commitment to? Maybe you have a direction, but but the devotion part, the commitment part. What is it that you want God to, to, to empower you to be able to do? You know, Maybe we should have had corporate reward supper today. It had been a good day to do that. But guys, this is open for you. And uh, it's it's a very private thing, I realize. I I don't expect everybody just to come down and have the Lord's Supper this morning. But but for those that are unfamiliar with how we do things, we do have an open table every single week. And so for some of you that are used to doing it four or five, six times a year in a corporate way, just know that this is how we do it at CS. We just open it up. And, And it is open this morning. And it's not to somehow twist your arm to come down and take, you know, communion this morning. But it's just to know that, you know, sometimes we just you need desire and, and then follow it with actions. The, the altar is open. You can pray right where you are as easily as you pray at this altar. But, folks, there is something. I, I don't know what it is. I'm not saying that it's some kind of, that God is right back here so we're closer to God when we come to this. But sometimes it is just that, that we moved our feet and we had that commitment to go with that devotion. We, we had a direction and we put some devotion behind it. Not trying to twist you into to responding in some way that is outside of what God has called you to do. But I just want you to have that freedom this morning because this is a big day guys. It's January 1st. It's not a big day because it's a new calendar. It's a big day because God says, man, I've given you the word that's beyond emotion. I've given you truth that you can leave some things behind so that healing can come in the future. You can leave some sins in the past and some failures in the past so that you can be more righteous and you can reflect more and more the righteousness of Christ in the future. It's an important day. I told Melissa, and I was so proud of her. I said, Melissa, we all need spiritual markers. We all need those times in our lives when we draw the line in the sand and say, God, today, Let's pray together this morning.
Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for today, Father. It brings hope to our lives. Father, not just be some calendar turns, but Father, it's because when we look at the scripture and we look at the call that you've placed upon our lives in Christ, Father, that is the hope. New, new life. A new covenant. Because we broke the old. A new heart. Because that old heart, Father, was of stone. It could even beat for you. And so, Father, as we wrestle with these questions this morning, Father, I pray that as you only can do through your Holy Spirit, Father, that, that you would allow, Father, your Spirit to, to write upon the minds and the hearts of, of our folks, hey, this is what God wants you to leave behind. Father, if it's a commitment, maybe it's a commitment to accountable relationships, Father, to life groups, discipleship with other men, other women. Father, will you fill our minds with really a a sense of urgency that the race and the finish line is close? Not in fear, but in the expectation. And Father, just like we saw in that picture where that one runner, she just jumps, she jumps to grab the finish line. Father, that you would give us that kind of sense of urgency this morning. Father, this year is going to be different for our families, for ourselves personally, for for our church family, for this community. Not because we all sin are better, but because you are Lord over all things. We love you and we thank you. Work in our hearts life. We love you and thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.